Let's do this. The Cult Hockey Podcast by the Faithful and for the Faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Well, if you didn't get a jolt of uh, dopamine from that game as an Oilers fan, your dopamine system needs um, a checkup. That was a, that was a thrilling come from behind victory. You only get a few of those every year, so you savor them when they come, Bruce. Four three overtime victory over the crack of Seattle, and uh, just absolutely thrilling comeback in a game which up, up until that time had been immensely frustrating with the Oilers outworked. Outworked, yeah. outworked, outworked, and outworked. But they came back. This is our two good things, two bad things, and two numbers podcast because it was a Oilers, big Oilers win. They're all going to be big this year because they're fighting back, scratching back. At least we hope. Um, <laughs> we'll be two good things each. What is your first good thing? Yeah, I got to go with the penalty kill. That yeah. had a big show tonight. They had kill five, uh, five penalties. And they had uh, some bad ones, you know, and uh, bad ones by players that don't normally take them, some of whom are penalty killers, just to add to the strain. But uh, uh, in the end, uh, Seattle went 0 for 5. They had just a few ticks under eight minutes on the power play, and they mustered four shots. And, I mean, there was probably a couple good shots in there, but Skinner's part of the penalty kill team as well. Let's give him uh, some due for holding the fort. But there was especially a steady stream uh, late in the second, early in the third. Uh, Gagne at 13.20 of the second. Uh, Nugent Hopkins at 19.17. Ryan at 30 seconds of the third period, which thankfully Oliver Bjorkstrand evened with a very Ooh. undisciplined penalty. They would have had a five-on-three for almost a minute. There was a game. And, yeah, very likely. And he could not resist uh, taking a run at Ryan and cost his team and then Zach Hyman at 230 of the third for low sticking uh, I think that the very tip of his stick cut, caught the chin whiskers of Yanni Gord who's five foot nothing at the best of times he was leaning way over and I don't think Hyman's stick was three feet off the ice but anyway uh, fact as it was they took penalties, and then Adam Ernie got one for a legal check to the head that I honestly thought was going to be a five-minute major. So did I. I and uh, I think I there worried. will be a suspension. And uh, so the Oilers dodged a bullet there. And uh, But anyway, uh, each time that they were short, the penalty killers rose to the occasion. Some of the action of five-on-five five and even four-on-four four would give you the willies, but... Uh, uh, the penalty kill, for its part, uh, did its part. And that was the uh, only reason the Oilers were still hanging around in this game. Yeah, the two Ryans led the way at forward on the PK for the most ice time. Mm-hmm. And um, the, it, as much as Seattle was on the power play, Bruce, they only mustered one grade A shot on the power yeah, play okay. that entire time, according to our breakdown right. of the game. Um, I got four shots total in eight minutes. I mean, that's... Yeah, just one of them. That's a only good one. average for... The grade A shots in the game were um, Edmonton had 11, Seattle had 12. Mm-hmm. For the subset of five alarm shots, the most dangerous uh, shots that go in 33% of the time on average, it was eight to five for Seattle. And I thought Stuart Skinner was, again, looked really sharp in this game um, and kept the orders in um, initially with uh, 
some great saves, and also there was some really good puck luck with the Seattle missing some wide open nets. Um, yeah, so Bruce, my uh, first good thing, yeah, Tanev, how did he miss that shot? It's just wide open that wrap wrap shot in the first. My good thing, Bruce, is a Seattle player, Adam Larson, oh. who who um. As people who who have listened to this podcast for years now, and there and there are some who have done that, um, have stuck with us, because uh, uh, anyway, uh, they know that I'm a big Adam Larson fan, and I hated to see him leave the Edmonton Oilers. Well, he just had a rancid game tonight. He he was a culprit, maybe the major culprit, on the first three Edmonton goals in this game. He wasn't on the ice for the last one. The the first one, I mean. How you leave Connor McDavid wide open is a question he'll have to answer for himself because there's two defensemen back and he's defending, but he decides he's going to move up on dry settle and try to the, the other his partner's backed up too much gap so our Adam's going to take the puck away from Leon dry settle never a good idea and dry settle just whips a backhand pass just a f- fantastic pass right under the stick of a McDavid steaming in mm-hmm. and um, he totally deeks. Joey Decord out of his shorts. Um, then we had the next goal in the third period, which is the big goal, right? Because the owners are out of this game. It doesn't look like they're coming back. They've been outworked all game. They're not getting anything done to speak of in the third period. And all of a sudden, they get a goal out of nothing. Um, Evan Bouchard makes a great fake slap shot, comes down the wing, puts the puck hard into the middle of the ice where Evander Kane is. And Kane wraps, uh, kind of um, slap passes it in, slap shoots it in, uh, however you want to put it, tips it in. Um, and the guy who, who doesn't get him is Adam Larson, late to take out of Andrew Kane's uh, hockey stick. And then on the, uh, you know, the goal with 45 seconds left, the six-on-five goal, um, again, it's Adam Larson who's down low covering Leon Dreisaitl when Leon Dreisaitl puts the puck right through Larson, right across the crease to Evander Kane, and they score. So on the three goals, he's right there in the middle of the action and he makes, he doesn't, he fails to make the play. I think he was most culpable on the first goal against when he just made a really bad decision to go for dry saddle instead of covering his man, Connor McDavid. But um, mm-hmm. not often we saw Adam Larson, the culp, the, a major culprit on three goals against when he was with the Oilers, but it was, it was nice to see tonight. Your second. Yeah. Game. Uh, yeah, uh, my second good thing is, uh, um, some emergency plays made late in the game. And I was going to single out one by Darnell Nurse that saved what appeared to be a sure empty net goal by, uh, Jaden Schwartz, where, uh, McDavid came through the neutral zone, coughed the puck up and Schwartz got it and he made a smart play it looked like he had nurse speed he stepped around him he took his aim at the net he was right on the red line he wasn't going to miss the game was going to be over and nurse made a lunging uh long stick uh defensive stop and uh it uh was not the only time we saw that long stick which was really impressive on a couple plays in overtime but this was kind of a a, a, a play that you know, kept them alive in the game. Skinner had just made a fantastic glove grab off of uh, Eli Tolvin and uh, like two minutes left. Tolvin had absolutely snapped a wrist shot right inside the post and Skinner got a glove on that. So 
that's one of them where like that would obviously would have made it four two or uh, empty netter would in either case game would have been over and by coming up with those key plays in those moments they kept the orders alive for the highly unlikely chance that they would ever score an actual tying goal with the goalie out they're really good at scoring one to make it one goal deficit but they almost never get the one ties the game up well tonight they actually did that so uh kudos well i'll say skinner anders for making huge plays to keep them alive uh, down the stretch my um second good thing is evander kane natural hat trick bruce <laughs> To win it. <laughs> Natural hat trick in the last eight and a half minutes of the game um, to win the game. And he did it the old-fashioned way. He went to the freaking net. And that's where the goals are scored. And I just wish, and I'm going to get into this in my bad thing, I just wish more Oilers players had that knack of going to the net, maintaining position, holding position, and then getting a shot on net. Um the first goal was, uh, you know, off the great Bouchard pass, but he directed it hard at the net and put it in. Um, the goal in the last minute, he took two, he he missed it the first time, I think. He kind of took two stabs at it. And the second one, he raised it over the goalie, mm-hmm. got it in the top of the net. Just a beautiful goal. And the overtime goal, Bruce, was one of the finest plays of the McDavid era without either McDavid or Drysaddle on the ice. It was a spectacular play by all three players, um, Kane, Hyman, and Bouchard. I mean, it starts with Bouchard uh, weaving his way into the zone, you know, handling the puck and very kind of crafty stick handling. Um, Kane... uh, battling hard to keep it in the zone at one point. Bouchard again getting it and and, um, making some nice moves. Hyman then getting the puck down low and making some nice moves, putting it back to Bouchard, who fakes a slap shot. And uh, I think, which I think was really significant in drawing the Seattle Seattle defense, freezing them, puts it over to Hyman, who makes a fantastic pass to Kane, who just drills it home with a one-timer. That was, that was a... um, Offensive hockey at its finest. And it was, um, with Bouchard, um, it's just a bit of a wrinkle. You know, we don't see him puck handling and stick handling like that so much, but we did see it there. And uh, it, it was fantastic. Three on three, there's lots of room to there, create There certainly stuff. is. Now, he had, a, he had, as people on the internet, I was noting on Twitter and other places that were, were, upset about Bouchard's play earlier on and justifiably so oh, yeah. he was he was wretched in the first two periods <laughs> the way to put it. yeah he was that's the yeah. truth but you know what I, when when you when you look at like we you know so we break down the uh, grade a shots each game Bouchard is just off the charts in terms of his contribution to grade a shots this year what was total tonight five um, each way <laughs> Three at even strength, four and five mistakes on uh, grade A shots against. And then he had the one or at least one on the power play, uh, um, another contribution to a grade A shot, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so he uh, he had his ups and, downs, ups and downs this game, but it certainly ended on a high with a fantastic mm-hmm. pass, uh, passes on the, on the uh, uh, second and fourth Edmonton goals. But Kane, we were Bruce... 
and let's go back and not pat ourselves on the back. Both you and I were seriously questioning Evander Kane earlier this year. And even earlier this game when they had him out on the four on four, I'm thinking, oh, he, he just gives up so much defensively. And of course, he did on that, that play. There was a wide open shot because he didn't cover his man right in front of the net, Evander Kane. But that guy, he is rounding into shape, doing what he does as a player. And what he does is intimidate, hit, and and go to the hard areas of the ice to score goals. And that's the last piece of the puzzle. And it's coming into shape. It's look it's looking like him we're gonna he's gonna get it together again this year as a shooter, which is fantastic news for the Oilers. Because if he had if we had been right, because we had been complaining that he we were worried he was gonna go on the Lucic route and just <laughs> fairly rapidly deteriorate and lose his hands and not be able to score, you know, become like a 10 goal scorer, an eight goal scorer, something like that. I, that was a real, I, I honestly had that fear. I expressed it on the podcast. I think you did as well. And, and it looks like hope, it looks like good news is we were incorrect. Well, that shift in overtime, David, if you wind the tape back, Howie, Right to the face-off. Like, I'm looking at the face-off, and McDavid and Dreisaitl are both on the bench, and they got two wingers out there. And I'm going, geez, you know, I mean, we already watched them lose the opening face-off and then never touch the puck for the entire first shift to overtime. Yeah. And possession's so important. And Kane went in there, and he, I noticed he was 0-3 on the face-off earlier. In fact, he wound up 1-3, and but this was the one he won, was in overtime. And that was the first of three intense puck battles that he won on that shift, uh, including a, a really unlikely one where he was kind of behind the puck and two Seattle guys went up against him. One of them even tripped him, uh, didn't get called. And somehow Kane was able to ward off both those guys and come away with the puck and keep the orders in possession. And so he had, I mean, that whole shift, he had an immense shift. And he, you know, he won... Several times he won the puck, like by my count, counting the face off three times that he was responsible for Evan and either getting the puck or keeping the puck. And uh, then, of course, he made the wicked shot to bury it for his, wait for it, sixth career hat trick as a member of the Edmonton Oilers. And that's just since he arrived here in 2022. Like he hasn't even been here for two calendar years yet. And he got two hat tricks in the playoffs. Uh, He got one at the... uh, uh, one at the end of the 21-22 season, and he had two last year, uh, most recently against Seattle. And now uh, tonight, it was his ninth career hat-trick, but six of those have come in his relatively short time in Edmonton. So, Bruce, what is your bad thing? Yeah, there, t- tonight there were so many botched plays by the Oilers and mess-ups from Bouchard basically throwing the puck right in front of his own net to uh, uh, Bjorkstrand like a minute into the first period. There was a four-on-four situation where Bouchard and Ekholm were playing forward and Kane and McLeod were playing defense. It happened twice in a row. There there was uh, just bobbles. There was bad penalties. Uh, But the bad play that stands out to me was uh, Vincent Deharnay in the third period. Uh, during a delayed penalty, and the Oilers were the Oilers were killing a penalty, and the, and Seattle took a penalty. This happened a couple times in this game, and he did the right thing by trying to run some clock so they could get a little bit longer power play. And then 
Uh, he ended his his moment of smart play by doing a spin around behind the back pass to a teammate behind the net, except for he missed. And he came oh so close to uh, just putting the puck right into the net. Like, I'm not sure if it hit the post or if it hit the side of the net, like a half inch behind the post. But it wasn't like he hit the side of the net. It was like he almost scored in his own net. And, I mean, the look on his face, you could you could see, at least on my big, big, quizzy color TV, you could see literally the color drain out of his face. Like, he actually turned white watching it on TV. It looked like he'd seen a, a ghost, Bruce, and that ghost was Steve Smith. <laughs> and it was uh, it was uh, humorous and not humorous all at once because it was just sort of yet another complete botched play by an oiler and for whatever reason the hockey guards were on oiler's side tonight because they got away with a few and they got away with a couple big ones like er- ernie to me he should have got five and dry on the face off on the tying goal with Seattle was screaming for a penalty and they had a real good case. I didn't I, think so. Which is why I think the refs didn't call the one on Kane just before the goal in overtime. I think they they had rabbit ears by that point. But uh, I think the Oilers got they got lucky. They got away with they got away with some mistakes. And their penalty killing made other mistakes go away, you know. But uh, this was a game that it was 3-1, and it felt like it might as well be 5-1. And I thought on that face-off, Dreisaitl and that other guy clashed, and Dreisaitl mm-hmm. got the best of the physical altercation and knocked him on his ass. And that's hockey. I didn't see a penalty. So, anyway. Uh, How about the maximum allowable fine from the Department of Player Safety? <laughs> I did see that. He did, take, he did take the guy down, after all. Anyway. Yeah, wasn't that crap? I mean, Horvat well, slew foots him. And yeah, that was a strange one. Anyway. That was just bizarre. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay, and some people bad. are anyway. Go ahead. Some people are saying he should have got a lengthy suspension for that. Oh, jeez. Yep. Anyway. Yeah. Um, I understand why Leon does not like being slew-footed after what Mikey Anderson did to him in the playoffs two years ago. I'm glad he did that to Horvat. Like that's yeah. what Horvat had coming, if not worse. Yeah, it didn't hurt him. You know, it just got his attention yeah. and he got a penalty. He deserved a penalty. Yeah. So did yeah. Horvat. He got a fine, well, whatever. I'm... Anyway. Uh... My bad thing is tonight, Ryan McLeod. I don't know if I've ever picked him before as a bad thing. Um, but Bruce, so, so there was the play on the, uh, first goal against for Seattle, where they come up the ice and McCann puts it in off his shin pad. And I guess, I think Jack Michael said that it was a good back check. I didn't see it Louis, as a good Louis back did. check. Louis said, I didn't see it as a good back check at all. He's on the wrong side of his man heading to the net. He, it was, again, we have talked about this in the past, a player who hustles back on the back check. And just before he gets position on the player, which is position is between you and the net. The opposition's on the other side of you, and you're between the opposition player and the net. Just before he gets that, he stops skating. And because of that, when the puck comes across, it goes in off McCann's leg. He's able to direct it in because McLeod hasn't taken him out. Preceding that was a kind of a, uh, it was an okay play at center ice where he kind of, there's a little bit of, um, uh, Matador defense where he kind of waves the red flag as McCann swoops by, but at least he was able to catch up there. McLeod was 
catch up to McCann, but he, again, he let him by. He got, he, he, he could have blocked his path to the net, could have kept him from, from intruding into the net area just by holding it, getting position and holding it. And he failed to do so because he let up on the back check. And, um, and again, this is so common that I think there's, there's some weird psychology at play with players um, where they, where they don't, follow through and get that inside position where they just let up a little early because you you just see it so often with so many different people so many different players and maybe it's an Oilers thing maybe they're not trained to do it maybe other teams do it I can't say for sure but man it's you see it all the time with the Oilers more than that with McLeod though there was a play in the first period and again in the third period which Louis correctly addressed um, the first period play the Oilers broke into the zone and they kept passing the puck adeptly uh, back to the blue line. And finally, there was a wide open shot from the blue line. And I thought, oh, this is dangerous because there, there was players attacking the net. And I thought, this, you know, this just feels like a dangerous shot because I'm expecting players to be in front of the net. And when the shot came, there was no player in front of the net. And on the replay, what I saw was McLeod is the first guy and he passes it back and then it gets passed back again. And McLeod, instead of going to the net and screening the goalie, he swoops around behind the net. Who yeah. does that? He does. I mean, lot. what kind of play, what, what kind of a play is that in hockey? Maybe Connor McDavid should do that because you know, the, you want him to be getting open and it's kind of crowded in front of the net with all kinds of opposition players. Then again, in the third period, he does it. Kulak breaks in and um, he's he's rushed in, and he should be he should stop at the net and provide a good screen for Kulak, who might have scored. You know, he had he Kulak comes down the wing, and he's got a good shot. But it's the goalie sees it all the way because McLeod again has failed to stop at the net, and he's not screening. And if you want a reason why Ryan McLeod has not scored this year, and I does he have any points? Maybe an assist or something? I think he's got one assist. It's this. He's he just he's he's not doing it right. I mean, I, I'm now that I've seen it, I'm gonna I like I listen. So I listen to the uh, Got Your Back podcast with Ryan Rashad, and That's Ryan's often Ryan is often talking about this. He's, with he's really hard on McLeod. He is, and I haven't really. I've always kind of wondered, like, why are you so hard on Ryan McLeod? Well, maybe he's noticed this before I have. Because it's something you don't necessarily notice. I just noticed it because I was expecting someone to be screening the goalie on that first shot. And it just wasn't there. And it's he's just, what is he doing? Like, screen the goalie. Get in his eyes. Block his eyes. Do the basic thing, especially if you're not scoring. And you're, like he is not a great attacking player in the NHL. He will never be. He, he's got to muck it up. He's got to get in front. Of, he's got to screen the goalie. Watch Evander, what Evander Kane does. Watch what Zach Hyman does. Do what they do, not what Connor McDavid does. Don't model your game on Connor McDavid. Model it on Hyman, Fogel, Kane, and maybe you'll get some results. But, man, that that was probably Exhibit A, or maybe Ryan Rashad would say Exhibit uh, 35A and why Ryan McLeod isn't scoring. But, um Yep. Tips and tips and rebounds are a good way to score, and screens are a good way to help score, and screen also de- creates rebounds, which you might then be able to bang in the net. you got to get in there. And this is a player, mm-hmm. I mean, the, before the Oilers ever drafted him, like the 
the draft record and the reason that he probably fell into the second round was despite being a big guy that can absolutely fly with the puck, which, you know, he's got lots of good attributes. Don't, uh, don't get, I think, either of us wrong. Uh, but the knock on him then was that he tended to be on the wrong side of his man. He was a little shy and reluctant to get into the, what uh, some folks call the dirty areas, you know, the trenches. And here we are five years later and still really observing the same thing on too many nights. And sometimes he's, he feels it and he gets in there and he's very effective. And that just makes it all the more frustrating. Like, at what point is the penny going to drop that you need to do that on the regular? And of course, now that he's off his ELC and he's getting paid a little bit and they had to let a couple of guys, other guys go so that they could pay him, it just stands out that much more. Well, so I'm just looking at, we because we track this, right, mm-hmm. on grade A shots. So last year he had four goalie screens and five tips, which is mm-hmm. not that different than a lot of the forwards. No. So, um, you know, Yamamoto had 14. Um, Kane just had six in 41 games. Kane was injured. Nuge had seven. Derek Ryan had 12. So, you know, he had nine. So it's not like his numbers are extraordinarily small last year for tips and goalie screens. But I sure noticed it tonight. And uh, for a player struggling to score, it would be a good idea to stop at the net and screen. Bruce, what is your numero? Uh, I'm going to go with uh, number two which is the number of defensemen the Oilers had on the ice to start overtime. And this is the first in memory, and this is maybe a sign of something different from our uh, uh, new coach, Chris Knobloch, that uh, uh, the first shift of OT started with a center, Dreisaitl, but the pairing of Bouchard and Ekholm. And when... Drysaddle did lose the face-off. They never got the puck back, but at least they had a couple of defensemen out there to, to play defense. I'm not saying even necessarily it worked, just that it was new and different. And uh, McDavid had played down the stretch of regulation and right down you know, through the last minute of, uh, of, um, of uh, regulation. So he started the overtime on the bench, and then when he came out for the second shift, it was like he was shot out of a cannon. And he was just flying on the one three-on-three shift yeah. that he got. Yeah. But just just something different from the coach. And uh, we've seen too many times where they lose that first shift and the other team controls the puck for 75 seconds. And then Connor and Leon both go to the bench because they've both been caught out there chasing the chasing the game. And so he went with the with the different uh, lineups. And then uh, uh, we wound up with that very odd two-winger alignment for a face-off in overtime. By the way, <clears throat> the face-off caused by Darnell Nurse uh, being alert to the fact that jo- Joey Decord wanted to play the puck and just busting in and getting close enough to in his face that Decord thought better of it and froze it. Yeah. But you see a lot of goalies try and keep the play alive in overtime, but uh, it's just one of those little tiny things, and uh, 99% of the time it's just a tiny thing that... that uh, uh, I got the world on its shoulders. 
Yeah, they got a Jensen Interceptor song, Edmonton Group from about 1970s. Anyway, uh, just a tiny thing, but every once in a while that tiny thing is a has an impact on what comes next, and this particular time it did. Anyway, uh, that's a long way from my number of two, but uh, just uh, just just noticing a different strategy from the coach to uh, to uh, the first minute of overtime, and also the obvious fact that that forced the split of Drysaddle and McDavid in overtime, and the shocking part being that neither of them was on the ice when Oilers scored to win it. So I don't, I don't mind it. Like, especially if the other team is putting out, you're at home and you know, like if the other team's putting out its two best attackers, right? Um, there's some risk for McDavid and Dreisaitl. They weren't great in overtime last year. Um, oh. They got beat a lot in overtime last year. And if they're putting out their top two attackers, the opposition, and you can counter with two defensemen, I don't mind that at all. It's like it's, it's three on three. You have to be extremely defensively aware if you're going to survive that situation with the, when the opposition has possession, especially if they're great attackers. So um, defensemen are that much more aware and uh, skilled at defending. So I thought it was an okay tactic. I didn't have a problem with it. Didn't work out great or anything, but they got through that minute and then out came McDavid, as you say. Um, Bruce, my number is 15 in 15. Three players on the owners now have 15 points in 15 games. Evan Bouchard, Zach Hyman, and Evander Kane. And they all got their 15th point tonight on the final goal. So my prediction for Bouchard <laughs> this year was 90 points. Mm-hmm. I thought that was the, that's the high end of what I think of Evan Bouchard can, can achieve in his best offensive season in the NHL. And I saw no reason why that might not be this year. So I picked it, you know, just as likely he gets 65 or 70 points. But I thought 90 is within his capability, so I picked it. Um, anyway, he's on track. He's got 15 and 15 after getting, I think, including the playoffs last year, 37 and 32, 37 points in 32 games. After so, the trade. Yeah, after the trade of Tyson Berry. So yeah. Evan Bouchard, again, um, I, I, what I what I hope to see as opposed to some fans making up their mind that he's a terrible player and he needs to be run out of town or traded for nothing. And you, you see that some, that's the opinion of some people is that people appreciate him for what he is, which is a mediocre defenseman who is going to make mistakes, but an absolutely brilliant attacking hockey player um, with some incredible weapons, you know, a shot, uh, which is as good as almost any other defenseman in the NHL and spectacular vision and passing skills. Almost and killed Drysaddle tonight with one of them. <laughs> yeah, he did. Yeah, so he's a specialist. He's an in, he's an interesting player. He's a specialist. Um, but his specialty is really, really important mm-hmm. and um, has a big impact on the game. And I think, I'm certain of this, a bigger impact than his defensive mistakes. So... Um, I would prefer if other Oiler fans join in with me in this kind of um, acceptance of the flaws of the player and um, mm-hmm. and praise and um, consideration of what he brings to the team. Well, that applies to a lot of me. I got to say the same thing about Leon, you know. Yeah. Like, he's true, a fantastic it's... player, does a whole lot of things that help the team win, and he does a whole bunch of sort of inexplicable stuff that you sort of just – Base bomb <laughs> while you're watching. Bouchard is very much that kind of, yeah. of player. 
but when you have a, a you know towering level of talent as they both do in my opinion uh, then uh, uh, you know the talent's going to win out uh, more often than not as uh, as indeed it did tonight for both players so we're on to the final part of the podcast, which is tonight's conundrum, Bruce. And the conundrum is this. It's just a small conundrum. They've recalled Philip Broberg. Mm-hmm. And the question is, when do you think he should get in the lineup? And um, who should he take out? Uh, I would say soon. Uh, I don't think that... Um uh, I don't think we're going to see a lot of 11-7 with Knobloch. They asked him about it, and he said he doesn't mind the 11 forwards and getting the extra shift here and there for the top guys. But he said the seven defensemen, he says you wind up with one guy that doesn't play enough, at least one guy that doesn't play enough. And that's sound like, you know, where, mm-hmm. where he sat on the issue. So the two 6-7 guys that the Oilers have, which are Broberg and uh, DeHarnay, uh, it's more likely one of them will be in the press box and the other one playing. And I'm thinking that might be uh, likely to be the change when it comes. Now, I'm not sure they're in any rush to get uh, Broberg in the lineup. The only reason they, well, the main reason they specifically called him up today was to legalize his bonuses. Because today they entered long-term injured uh, reserve status. And when you do that, like last year, this happened at the very beginning of the season. Remember, there was all this... This movement around oh, yeah, to make yeah. sure Bouchard and Holloway were, uh, I'm sorry, that uh, Broberg and Holloway were on the roster to begin the season. Well, today that's that same process took place. That if Broberg was on the team, then he only counts as cap hit. Whereas if he stayed in Bakersfield and then they called him up, they would have to charge both his cap hit and his bonus, which would basically double his cap hit to one point, because he's got $850,000 in bonuses. He's not going to earn them, but the rules say that if you get called up and you're carrying bonuses, they count against the cap. So they had to legalize him, so that's why they brought him up and they left him upstairs watching. And it maybe even goes back down, but I think they want seven defensemen on the roster, and he's, uh, to me, the obvious number seven. And so I expect he'll uh, he'll get in there on this road trip and it might be uh, relatively soon. Edmonton's third pairing did not have a great game tonight, and they did not get uh, quite so much ice time uh, as they got in the uh, in the prior game. Just 12 minutes for Kulak, and uh, just under 15 for uh, for DeHarnay, who's uh, you know more of a regular on the penalty kill. So uh, he got he got uh, four minutes on the penalty kill, and Kulak got zero. But uh, that's um, and that's his ticket, DeHarnay's ticket to staying in the roster is being good and strong on the penalty kill. Because I don't which, think Roberg is fully established there either. No, which DeHarnay is, but he does. I mean, I think we're starting to see, get a full idea of what DeHarnay kind of brings and doesn't bring. Mm-hmm. And there are, it's pretty mediocre puck moving. Mm-hmm. And um, if they're looking to play a faster game, this is what we're hearing. Um, mm-hmm. Broberg's your man. He's, he's, I think, as sound a defender as DeHarnay. DeHarnay um, is more physical, obviously. And and not so much this year, though. Mm-hmm. But um, but Broberg is very adept defensively. And they're both... Uh, he needs to be more aggressive 
maybe he will be one of these days and finally stick in the NHL because if that's what he needs to do is start to go for it. So, uh, yeah, I think I think it'll be fairly soon. I think it'll be DeHarnay coming out. They might be hesitant if the PK is working, though, to change things up. If he's a right. big, you know, he played almost four minutes on the PK. I think he was second to Darnell Nurse mm-hmm. in ice time on the PK. 357 yep. for DeHarnay, 403 for Nurse. Yeah. So he's obviously, that's a big, important part 358 of 358 for CC, but still, I mean, they're all yeah, okay. four yeah. guys right around four minutes. Yeah. The other two didn't play at all. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're not going to see Bouchard out there. Um, yeah, Colm was out there, yeah, 345. So anyway, Broberg, um, yeah, I'd like to see him in again, and I think we'll see him soon enough. He, he Listen, he what he needs to understand is he's got to start going for it. He's got to start getting in the guts of the game and really trying to make an impression on the game and um, use his skating, for instance, to his advantage and bring all that he has. If he does that, he's got a chance to be a good player. If he doesn't, he'll fade like a lot of players have, have faded. Um, this is where Paul Coffey could be a, could be a springboard wow. for that guy. Yeah. Paul gets in his head and, and starts to, you know, impress on him, you know, your skating is a real plus skill, you know, use it in your, your own zone by all means, but use it in all zones. Well, um, we've seen Broberg in Sweden make rushes mm-hmm. that are spectacular, so smooth, mm-hmm. fast skater. Mm-hmm. I, I've never seen it with the others, I don't think, hardly ever. So, um, yeah, we might, because the, the defensemen are attacking more. Alrighty, Bruce, well, um, what's next up for the Oilers? Saturday afternoon in Tampa Bay to kick off a four-game southeastern road trip to Tampa, Florida, Carolina, and the next Friday afternoon, the rare weekday afternoon game, the day after U.S. Thanksgiving at Washington. Wow. They Don't get forget two to wins set your PVR, PVRs, your, uh, you folks that work regular hours. Two wins out of that would be nice. I'd like to get at least five points out of it. I mean, they got to start making some ground. They got to start making some some statements. And tonight, I thought they were making a very negative statement. Then all of a sudden, everything turned, and uh, we wound up with the happy ending. And maybe this is the beginning, three game win streak, just like that. Well, maybe yeah. we'll see McDavid if he is getting healthier. Like maybe we'll see the real McDavid, which we who we have yet to see this year. He's still and- not. Dangling the puck, he's not got the puck. Not quite as much. To, right? Yeah, yeah, but it's coming. The, do you, do you think it's coming? The rapid stick handling. Not do you think it's that coming? Yet. I do think it's better, but I think he's way below 100. You know, when he's stick handling at his normal speed, I mean, he's tapping the ice, he's moving the puck back and forth, and he's doing about 35 things a second. And I just haven't seen that kind of hand speed out of him. And, yeah. So whatever it is, is you know some body part that may be connected to the hand bone, you know. So exactly, or in the hand. All right, Bruce. Or right in the hand, of course. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Bruce, thanks for talking tonight. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. <laughs>